is falling into grace. Falling into grace. If you have your copy of God's Word with you today, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We'll pick up around verse 7 once you're there. But falling into grace is the title of my message. And today we're going to meet someone or talk about someone who fell asleep during a long sermon. Can I get a witness? <laughs> he fell asleep during a long sermon and he fell out of a window. But the good news is he landed on grace. He fell, but he landed on grace. It's such an amazing, powerful illustration of who we are and what we are and I want you to go ahead, if you've got it open there to Acts 20, beginning at verse 7, I invite you to stand. It's one way that we show reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. And by the way, this we begin in verse 7, but if you look at verse 6, it mentions that they sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. So we pick up in verse 7. They're in Troas, which is in modern-day Turkey. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, turn to your neighbor and say, that's Sunday. Sunday. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended, turn to your neighbor and say, it's not a good thing. He extended his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul conversed a considerable time until dawn. Then he left. That's the Gospel 911. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, speak through your word, move by your Holy Spirit, that God, these here today would not see me, but they would, they would see me uh, hidden behind that old rugged cross, and that God, that you have a message to speak directly to them today. So by the moving of your Holy Spirit, bring conviction where it is needed, encouragement where it is needed, that, God, you would move in such a powerful way that no one, no one would be able to say that God was not in this place. For where two or more are gathered together, there you are in the midst. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So they're in Troas, which is in modern-day Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they meet on the first day of the week. I wish our brothers and other denominations that, uh, that believe that uh, there's something wrong about having church on Sunday, you'll find in the early church, they actually met on Saturday and they met again on Sunday. Because why? Well, because they were Jewish. They were coming from a Jewish background where the Sabbath is Saturday. 
But as they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they used Sunday. Why would they use Sunday, Brother Chad? Because something special happened on a certain specific Sunday. Amen. Jesus was resurrected. And so that early church met on Saturday and Sunday. Right here, we have an example, scriptural evidence, proof right here that they're meeting on the first day of the week. And Paul's about to leave. He's about to go on another journey, another missionary trip, and he doesn't know when he'll see this specific audience again. Now, let's be quite candid here. None of us know when we'll see each other again. You know, that's why it's so important to tell your loved ones what they really mean to you because you don't know from when you leave the house. You don't know what could happen, what may happen. Paul says, I don't know if I'll ever see this audience again, so I'm just going to preach from, I'm going to preach from dusk till dawn. I'm going to get long-winded, he said. He chooses to just go on and on and on. I can tell you right now. I've been there, didn't, been there, sat in the, in the audience, but whether it was at a conference or at a church, and I just kept thinking, is he ever going to land this plane? <laughs> we just circle the airport over and over. And, and, and you, know, you know what it means when a preacher says, and as I close, do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and as I close, you, know, you can turn to your neighbor and just say, that means 10 more minutes. <laughs> No, but seriously, Paul doesn't know when he'll see this audience again. So he is preaching and preaching. I love what the King James uh, translates this particular passage as. King James says this. King James says he was long preaching. <laughs> long preaching does not lead to happy hearts. It leads to heavy eyelids. Because I will tell you this. Now, I didn't learn it in seminary, but I learned it from firsthand experience. The brain can only absorb what the rear end can endure. No, that's true. It's really true. And listen, and listen, when you pray, you ought to thank, you ought to thank the Lord that you go to a church where the pastor is hypoglycemic. What does that mean? That means he started getting hungry about 11.50, 11.55. That sugar's waning a little bit, and he says, hey, it's time to wrap this thing up. Amen? Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Paul was long preaching, according to the King James. He was such long preaching that this boy named Eutychus, and based on the Greek translation of the, the, the verses, he would have been a teenager. He would have been a teenager, and he's sitting in the windowsill, and Paul is long preaching, and this teenager is sitting in the windowsill on the third floor. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's high. And he is trying with all his teenage might, he is trying to stay awake. Can you just imagine? <laughs> you know, it's happened to all of us. We've been there, done that, doze off a little bit, and, 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 and you hear people laughing. And so when you come back to the land of the living, <laughs> you don't even know what people are laughing at. They're laughing at you for falling asleep. But he's trying with all of his teenage might to stay awake, but Paul keeps going on and on and on. And so what happens is he literally falls asleep and he falls out of the window and he hits the ground. Now listen to me. We all ought to be able to identify with Eutychus. Not because we've fallen asleep during a church service, but because we're all fallen. The Bible declares in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. 
It's not a detergent. It means everybody. It means all of us have fallen. We all struggle. We are all sinners. The only difference is some of those sinners are saved by grace. And that makes all the difference. Eutychus falls out of the window, hits the ground from a third floor. This means certain death. You don't fall from that type of level and hit that ground and not die. So he, he certainly, certainly was dead. And this actually shows our spiritual nature. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are certainly dead. Apart from what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you cannot save yourself. There's no 12-step program to get to heaven. You cannot earn your way. You cannot pay your way. You cannot speak in tongues your way to heaven. The only way to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only way. We are like Eutychus. We are fallen and we are dead. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23 it says, for the wages of sin is death. Spiritually dead is our condition. I don't care who it is. You may think that, that your grandma is the most precious lady in the world and she ain't never told a lie and she ain't ever done anything wrong. Let me just tell you this. Apart from Jesus Christ, grandma is a wretched, wretched sinner. You know how I know that? I don't even know your grandmama. But I can tell you this. All means all. It covers the Sunday school teacher, the preacher, the deacon. For all have sinned. So guess what? If you're here today, and you're a sinner, you're in good company. You're in great company. For all have sinned and fall short. He hits the ground, and what does the Bible say? It says this. Overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Picked up dead. But I love, I love that that's not the end of the story. I love that, that like Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story comes right here in verse 10. But Paul went down. Look up at me real quick. you got to go down to meet some people. you got to get off, off your high horse and go down to meet with them and show them that Jesus is real. Paul did not declare from a third story, hey, boy, get on up. <laughs> Paul went down. But not only did he go to common ground, we're all on the same level. I know some people think they're better than others, and some people think their sin is not as dirty as other people's sin is sin. Paul went down, but he not only went down, look at that next part. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. But Paul went down, fell on him. So the boy falls out of a third story window. Paul goes down and falls on him. And then, that's not it. He, look at the next part, embraced. He embraced him. Paul was not afraid to get his hands dirty. Paul was not afraid to go down to the level to reach this young man. And then to embrace him. If he fell out of a third-story window and hits the ground, he's dirty. He's covered in dust. Paul was not scared to get his hands dirty for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul was not worried uh, uh, about that boy's dirt getting on him and making him this evangelist dirty. Paul went down to his level. Paul fell on him, and Paul hugs him and embraces him. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. In fact, it declares in 1 Corinthians, listen to this verse as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22. To the weak, Paul said, I became weak 
in order to win the week. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. You're not going to win all of them. You're to plant the seed. You're to declare the truth. You're to spread the good news. And whether they receive it or not, it's not on your shoulders. You did your part. Paul went down, got on the same level. Paul fell on the boy. We're all falling. And then he hugs him and takes him in. And then he declares these words. And think about all the people that watched this happen. Think about the people that are already crying. You know, some people could cry at the drop of a hat. Some people, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, just quick, you know, just hits them out of nowhere. Imagine the sounds of people grieving, the shock to watch somebody fall out a window and you hear the thud. I mean, not to be too graphic, but man, I, that would really shake some people up. Paul says these words to all the onlookers, to all the weepers, to all the people in shock. Don't be alarmed for his life is in him. Paul picked that boy up after he'd been declared dead. And he says, don't be alarmed. Does that sound like the words of somebody else? Jesus would say, fear not, for I am with you. Literally translated, this is what Paul's saying. Fear not, his life is in him. The boy is restored. Now don't get it twisted. He was dead. Dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. But Paul embraces him and the life is restored well you say how well that's the thing about a miracle i don't have to medically explain it to you i can just say god did it and that settles it the boy is restored the boy is brought back to life he fell out of a window but he landed on grace he fell out of a window but he landed on grace now i have scriptural proof that the early church were southern baptists Watch, watch this, watch this, watch this. Seriously. No, 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 you can't refute this. I, I, I dare any Pentecostal or Methodist or Catholic to come at me. Here's what it says in verse 11. Now, granted, he just, a boy just fell out of a third-story window, and he's dead. Now he's brought back to life. Look at verse 11. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, only Southern Baptists could eat after a boy fell out of a window dead. Come on now, bring Southern Baptists. That boy fell out of a window dead. Somebody probably turned to the neighbor and said, the casserole's getting cold. <laughs> Seriously, you know. <coughs> somebody probably said, well, the food's coming. Food, food's waiting on us. These were Southern Baptists, because only Southern Baptists could watch a boy fall out of a third-story window and then say, you ready to do it says, after going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating. Now, you would think a long-winded preacher would learn after a young boy fell out of a window during his sermon that after they ate, Paul would have been like, you know, somebody give the benediction. Somebody give us a closing prayer. No, look at what it says. Paul conversed a considerable time until dawn. The boy kept preaching. You know why? Because he had something else to say. He had something else to say. These people had just watched a miracle. They, they witnessed a miracle, and he wanted to make sure 
that they made the connection. He wanted to make sure that they understood the importance of what they had just witnessed. This one thing when we read about it today and we laugh at it, we look at this and say, man, this is a cool story. Thank God he pronounced that guy's name because I never knew how to say that. Eutychus. <laughs> then it says, they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Don't you think that boy lived the rest of his years telling the story about the time he fell asleep during a long-winded sermon? That's right. don't, you, don't you know that he had quite a story to tell? about how that preacher just kept going and going and going. And he said, and I fell out that window and I hit the ground and I was dead. You were dead. Yes, I was dead. But that long-winded preacher came down and got on my level. He got on your level. Yeah, he fell on me. And he picked me up and he embraced me. And then I heard these words and I crossed back over. Do not be afraid. His life is in him. I want you to know that that boy was restored in more ways than one. That boy was restored physically. He was brought back to life, but spiritually, he was saved. See, by virtue of you being here today, I know that you're alive. I know that you had a birth date. I know that you've been born. But just because you're sitting in the church pew doesn't mean that I know whether or not you're born again. And it was Jesus who said, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must. He didn't say, I'm suggesting he didn't say it's a good idea. He didn't say you might want to be born again. He said you must, M-U-S-T, must be born again. And Nicodemus asked the question that you may ask. Well, how can I be born again? What do I have to do? And Jesus laid it all out for him. Jesus explained to him that to be born again, you had to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And so if that's something that you haven't done or you've been thinking about doing, today is the day. There's a reason you're here. You're not here by accident. But today is the day that you need to nail that down. Today's the day you need to make sure. Because guess what? We're all fallen. That's right. We're all fallen. The only difference with some people that are here today is that we failed. And Jesus got on our level when he left the beauty and glory and majesty of heaven and came to this earth. He got on our level. And this is what he did. He didn't come down to this level to point at you and point at you and condemn you and condemn you. No, he stood with arms wide open and said, come unto me. And he gave his life on common ground. He, he, he took our sin, though he knew no sin. He took our sin upon him. And that made all the difference. He took our <coughs> sin upon him who knew no sin. And he took it all, bore it on the cross, your shame, your guilt. You don't have to carry that anymore. He carried it for you. He carried all that guilt and burdens that you've been carrying. And Jesus said, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So have you been born again? You know what is really interesting to me about this is that in the early church, things were growing at an exponential rate. The church, you know, started off as a group, a band of uh, 11 disciples because we know that one of them took his own life and then they added Matthias to bring back the number to 12. But that early church was really about somewhere between 120 followers. And then it grew and it expanded from Israel and from Jerusalem to other countries, including Turkey. On many of the missionary journeys that Paul went on and those other early disciples, it spread from a little bitty tiny sliver of land called Israel 
and it went to Europe, and it went to Africa, and it went throughout Asia. And the gospel spread and continues to spread. But here's what's so amazing is that when we read here that they sailed to Troas, and that's in modern-day Turkey, what I need you to understand is that for, from the New Testament time period, from the time that we were reading about here in the book of Acts, from that time period until actually the last 50 years, Turkey was very open to Christianity. Large numbers of Christians were in Turkey, and there's Christian churches that were built in the first and second and even third century that are still in Turkey today. But here's what happened. The dominance of Muslims and the Muslim birth rate changed all that. You see, the average Muslim family has 3.1. I don't know how you get that, but maybe it's a cat. 3.1, average, average Muslim family, their birth rate is 3.1. For those that are European or American, our birth rate for the first time ever just fell under 2.4. 2.4. So do the math, even if you don't like math, and you see what happens when there's an exponential growth rate among Muslims. And so this has caused Christians to be expelled from Turkey, and they're a small minority now. It may... Surprise you to know that in the second and third centuries, Christians represented 50% of Turkey. 50, 5-0. But in 1914, Christians represented 25% of the population. Today, Christians in Turkey represent 0.3%. 0.3%. Why would I even bring that up at the close of this message? Well, because... You and I have a responsibility to go and tell anyone and everyone. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might convert some. We need to be spreaders of the good news because you can take a look at our country and see what, we, what has happened to the United States of America over the years and how Christians at one time were more vocal, more represented, uh, more of an influence on the culture, but over the years, what started happening? We started losing our influence, and we started waving the white flag. And now, I'm just going to tell you, I mean, you look around. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know this. I, we're in the minority. Now, some people say we're the silent majority. Maybe that was true 20 years ago. I think we're in the minority. I think true born-again, not a label, not Baptist, not Catholic, born-again Christians. I believe true born-again, genuine believers are a minority. So here's what that means. You ought to have a sense of urgency. You ought to have a sense of duty to go and spread the good news because if not you, who will do it? And if not now, when? It'll be too late. You ought to see yourself in the story of a young man that fell out of a window. Why? Because you're falling for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But have you landed on grace? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you saved? If something were to happen to you, would you spend eternity in heaven? Now, if you are born again and you are saved and you've settled that once and for all, let me ask you this. Do you go down and help others? Do you get at their level common ground? Or are you too high and mighty looking down your nose at other people and their sins? Go down and help people where they are. Meet them where they are and tell them Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. Let us pray.